Recently, I had a, uh, I was around some, some Christians. That's better. That's good. And they were messed up. They were messed up real bad. And they were so messed up, in fact, I couldn't hardly stand being around them. And it wasn't anything they were saying or anything they were doing, but it was, it was really the spirit that was on them that was just, I mean, it was just hard for me to be around them. And uh, I, you know, went back and was asking the Lord about it, and the Lord gave me this verse, Ecclesiastes 10.1. It says, Dead flies putrefy the perf- perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. And, you know, I felt like the Lord was, was speaking that verse to me about, about these people, that even though they were sincere believers, I, but they had been, these flies had gotten into their spiritual life, so to speak. And because these flies had gotten in, the aroma, the, the spirit that was on them, the sense that you got from them was not a good thing. It was nasty, to tell you the truth. It was real nasty and it was real bothersome. And uh, so I just wanted to, sh- to share a little bit about that this morning because I feel like all of us really in our lives re- we need to understand something, that there really is a spiritual thing around each of us. We all have a, a, an atmosphere around us. And if we're, if we're in sin, that's going to come off. That's going to be, people are going to pick up on it. They may not understand what they're picking up on. Or if we're in rebellion, or if we're in unforgiveness, or if we're in bitterness. I mean, really and truly. And, and that scripture really states exactly what happens to a person. It, it putrefies your life. It, in other words, it makes your life smell bad. You can say all the right things. You can act, all, act the right way, do all the right things, but there's an odor that comes from you which is not really the odor of the Lord. It's, it's just... It is, and that's what it... Just like, if, you know, in those days when they made their, their perfume, these flies would get in it, and the flies would make the perfume stink. Dead flies. I mean, I've never smelled a dead fly. Uh, I imagine it stinks pretty bad, though. Now, one of the things that Becky shared last week during worship was in the, about the Welsh revival. And one of the things that they made... They made some commitments. They made, like, four commitments... Help me with those four commitments. One of them was that they would absolutely do anything that God wanted to do, right? They would confess number. They would, they would confess all known sin in their life and unforgiveness. Help me. Just come out here and say those so people can hear them. I can't really figure out this. <laughs> it's like an echo. I think this is right, but. Um... The first one is that they were willing to confess anything. Anything is really the way they worded it that was between them and the Lord. Anything in their past. Um, I think the next one was about forgiveness. Um, was just really forgiving everybody of anything, just letting it go. And the third thing was um, being willing to obey the Holy Spirit. Just anything. Just really basically getting out of the way and letting the Holy Spirit have his way, that the meetings were totally about that. And, um, and then the fourth thing was confessing publicly that Jesus was Lord in your life. There was a real power that seemed to come in on that. It was just public confession 
of Christ being Lord of their life. Amen. So the Lord um, was speaking to me, and well, actually, He gave this Becky this word called a forgiveness clinic, and we were talking about how wouldn't it be wonderful if you could open up a clinic specifically to help people forgive or help people be forgiven and make it where people didn't really not try to make it a Christianese kind of thing but make it for anybody off the street who's suffering with unforgiveness be able to go to this place and learn how to get free from unforgiveness wouldn't that be powerful because it's been proven by medical science that unforgiveness it causes health problems. And I've shared some about this with you, about un- how unforgiveness causes, you know, high blood pressure, uh, you know, ulcers, you know, angina, all these kinds of things. Those things are caused because there's something spiritually wrong in you. And so, you know, one, what the Lord would love to do for everybody and see what you could do with a person who doesn't know the Lord is you could teach them about forgiveness and in the process they would find they would find the Lord because the Lord is so forgiving. And I believe that's one of the things that that God really has really emphasized in my life is about not being bitter and, and being a forgiving person. And because, and because we're always going to be tested with that. There's always going to be people that are going to infuriate us. And there's always going to be people that are going to hurt us. That is something we never escape in this world, in this life. And so, uh, you know, I talked to you a few weeks ago about gall, the gall of bitterness, and how Jesus was offered the cup on the cross, and it was wine mixed with gall. And I shared with you how gall, that actually is, is like drinking arsenic. And I shared a story about a woman whose husband was trying to kill her by drinking arsenic over a period of time, and then in the end, it almost killed her. Fortunately, she was rescued from that. But that's the way bitterness works in our life. It doesn't hit us all at one time. Bitterness, you know, Jesus was offered that cup, cup to deaden the pain of what was happening in his life. And what, that's the easy thing to do. That's the easy thing for Christians to do, is to take a drink of that cup, to, to run away, in a sense, run away from what's hurting you. It, bitterness shields us in a way it numbs us from the pain that's around us. But we, what we don't realize, it is just like in the natural drinking arsenic. Slowly but surely, it's, it's building up in our body, in our spirit, so to speak. And one day out of the blue, it hits us, and it, you know, it just can destroy your life. And then last week, I talked to you about Naomi. Who We've got Naomi here with us today. She's back there. <laughs> that's, that's the new baby. Uh, but Naomi, you know, she lost, she lost both her sons and lost her husband, and lost one of her daughter-in-laws that was like a daughter to her. And she came home, and she says, Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because her life was embittered. She said, I went out full, and I've come back empty. And really the whole point of that message was try to get you to see, you know, how if, if you will remain faithful to the Lord, even in your bitterness... And you will do, and I, the, the thing that I saw in Naomi's life is Naomi served Ruth. She was there for Ruth. And many times when we get bitter, we want to just withdraw ourselves and close ourselves off. And what she did through all that, through her serving of Ruth, she came into fullness again in her life and saw that God was a nurturer of her life. 
So, you know, what happens to many people is they, they lose things or they get hurt. Something happens in their life and there's this bitterness that sets in their life and they withdraw. They withdraw. See, Naomi admitted it. I'm bitter. I'm messed up. But she never, she kept pointed towards the Lord. She kept going towards God. And she actually became the person who, who helped guide Ruth into her destiny, which brought Naomi in, into her destiny. And in the end, she held the, the, the baby, Obed, who was the granddaddy of, of King David. And just, just a real uh, godly inheritance, just a real tremendous story of redemption in the Bible. And that's, those are things I feel like God has brought up to us because He wants to deliver us from bitterness. He wants to set us free from unforgiveness and from, from hurt. Um, now, in the natural, if you think about flies and natural, I went and studied flies a little bit. Y'all know what chloria is, don't you? It's a, it's a digestive disease that is in third world countries. Cholera, chlora, whatever. Forget how I say it. Just, it's a digestive disease. Typhoid fever, that's another one. Y'all know, y'all know typhoid fever. It's, it's also a digestive disease. And then there's anthrax. Well, we all think, when we think about anthrax, we think about what the terrorists did. Remember the anthrax scares, the powdered anthrax? And actually, flies are a care of anthrax. Anthrax is, is, a, is a disease. It's a disease. And that's, you know, they've developed into a powder form man, mankind has. But it's a disease, and, and you know... It's something to be afraid of because it's, a, you know, in the, in the powdered form, it's a, it causes respiratory failure. It'll kill you. That's why they, it, they flipped out up there when they thought the buildings was, you know, contaminated with anthrax because it will kill you if you breathe it. It will kill you if it gets into a sore on your arm or if you ingest it, it'll kill you. And there's another, another disease caused by f- flies, and I am not even going to attempt to... Uh, Pronounce it. I can't even think it. I'm messed up, man. But what it does is it affects your eyes. They say over in Egypt around the Nile where flies are really extremely bad, you can see these little kids with flies all around their eyes, just coated with flies. And this disease can actually destroy vision, your vision. So those are some of the things that flies do in the natural. And see, that, all those things speak of spiritual things. Okay, your spiritual vision, your ability to breathe, which, you know, the Holy Spirit is pneuma, breath, wind. You know, your ability to, to walk in the Spirit, your ability to digest, to really be able to hear the Word of God and bring it into your life and let it become a part of you. That's what those flies are speaking of. And many times in the, in the Scripture, if you study flies in the Scriptures, many times flies, you know, they are a curse, but they many, many times they speak of lies. Okay? They speak of lies. And I wanted to just... What, I'm, what I want you to see this morning, which I believe what God wants us to see, is, is how Satan, the enemy of our soul, he, he actually wages a spiritual war against us. And one of the, his main weapons that he wages against us, and which ultimately can get you in unforgiveness, it can get you in bitterness, it can get you in sin, is through these flies. It's through putrefying your life. Um, and it's through his lies, basically. It, it, John eight forty four. Are y'all are y'all hearing what I'm saying to you? I spent a long time explaining all that. I think. But listen to what it says. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your, your father you want to do. He was a mur- he was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. 
So that's Satan's primary weapon against us. In fact, really, really and honestly, the truth is, that's his, his, his main weapon, is lies. That's how Satan affects every one of us all the time. That's how he affects the world all the time, is through lies. Are you with me? Now, if you look in Matthew uh, twelve twenty five, 25, um, this is a scripture when Jesus was casting out demons. It says, Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the, the ruler of demons. Now, Beelzebub, or Beelzebub, you know, however they, it's, it's written. Well, actually it is. It's, it's, different, it's different spelling in different ways. But really, the, the root of this guy, Beelzebub, he was a Philistine god of flies. That's who he was. Philistine god of flies. Another translation, god of dung. And you know, flies breed in dung. And that's what they were, that's what they were accusing Jesus of is, is casting out demons by this God of flies. Are you all with me? Okay, turn to 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 2. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. Now, here, the, last, the last days, people giving heed to deceiving spirits to de- um, and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So the Bible is really clear right here. What it's really saying right here is real clear. Is that in the last days, lies are going to lead many people astray. Okay? And I believe what's happening is people are believing lies that are destroying them. We believe lies that destroy us. That's what's really getting us is what we believe. Now, Arthur Burke has said many, you know, we've talked about Arthur Burke forever and he has lots of sayings and things, but the, the saying that he, the thing that he has said over and over that stuck with me in my life is your believing rules you. You do not rule your believing. And I tell people that a lot that have never heard it, and they always say, what? Tell me that again. They want to know that. People want to know that. In other words, what you believe is going to rule your life. If you be, and this is, I've told people this story over and over. I heard a bodybuilder one time being interviewed. It was like on a 2020 thing or something. And they wanted to know... Why, is, why are you into bodybuilding? What drives you? This man was huge. I mean, he was like three or four Marlins put together. I mean, the guy was so big, his head looked like a, a ping pong ball on top of a body. His body was so big, you know, it was out of proportion. It was just not natural. And this man said, every time I look in the mirror, I do not see a big man. I see a little skinny kid. And that was, see, he believed he was a skinny kid, so he, you know, took all these steroids and worked out, you know, eight or ten hours a day, whatever, you know, because he believed something that wasn't true. And see, that's an extreme example, but that is the, the state of human beings. That is how Satan gets into our life. That's the flies that putrefy us. It's these lies that we believe that make us do things, we, and we act on them, we believe on, uh, in them. Um, let's just read a, a common scripture. I say common, there's no such thing as a common scripture, but... It's commonly known, Romans ten seventeen, And it says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's, everybody knows that's true, right? That's a great scripture. That's how we walk into faith, is by hearing God's Word. Well, Satan has this, this counterfeit, okay? He's got, a, he's got an opposite. And let me just read an opposite. Fear comes by hearing, and hearing by the lies of Satan. Fear comes by hearing. Because, see, fear is, would be Satan's counterfeit to faith. Because, see, faith is something that call, you can, when you have faith, you do things. You, you're activated, right? 
You can, you, can, you can function when faith is operating in your life. Well, same thing with fear, but it's, a, it's an opposite thing. Are, do, y'all, do y'all understand what, what I'm saying to you? So people, we all, we all have reacted and responded out of fear, right? Parents do it all the time. I, you see parents that will uh, make, uh, they'll make compromises with their children because they, they fear that if they don't, their kids are going to forsake them or their kids are going to do this. Or, you know, anything that we do as Christians that's based on fear and is motivated by fear is wrong. Anything, unless it's godly fear. But I'm not talking about godly fear now. I'm talking about the fear that comes from Satan, the lies that come from Satan. So anything that you do or you or I do, if I, uh, you know, even though this is a good thing, I don't want Becky to leave me. I love Becky. I will do anything for Becky. But if I'm walking around in fear that she's going to leave me and I respond out of that fear to keep her from leaving me, ultimately in the end it will not work. It will fail me because it's based on fear. It's based on lies. It's not based on the truth. And that's really how, that is the way that Satan gets into our life. Arthur has another little saying, I'm just using poor Arthur so bad, is uh, it's like, fear is built on a lie. Remove the lie and the fear will die. And that's the truth. You see, when we have fear in our life, it's because we're believing something that's wrong. And when we believe something that's wrong... Faith is not with that thing. Fear is with that thing. And I promise you, everybody faces fear. Just some people do not respond to fear. They respond to God. They don't believe the lies. And that's really what God wants us to, to learn how to do. Here's another scripture, uh, Proverbs twelve twenty five. It says, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. So we have uh, you know, a world of depressed people people who are suffering through depression, it's because they got this anxious thoughts in them inside their hearts. And the anxious thoughts are coming because they've got this fear in them. They're afraid of something, so they're scared and they're anxious about it. I mean, you understand what I'm saying to you this morning? I mean, it's really simple when you think about it. That's why Jesus said, don't be anxious for anything. That's what Jesus said, nothing. Don't be anxious for nothing. Because he knew anxiety is not, it comes from the devil. It comes from, the, uh, it comes from a lie somewhere in your life, which fear, you know, then you have fear, and then an outcome of fear is anxiety. It's another form of, of uh, fear. Does that make sense? And see, what God wants to do is help us identify the things in our lives that we're believing that are not the truth. In other words, you can go in the mirror every day and look, look in the mirror and think, this, I'm just this awful, ugly person. You know, and you are driven by being ugly. And people do that. They're driven by the way they think about themselves when they're really not ugly. They're just common looking. You know? I mean, everybody can't be handsome as, you know, certain people. Here's another thing that happens. We were at a conference a couple months ago, and Francis Frenchpain was there speaking. And, you know, Francis Frenchpain is a, you know, I would say he's an intercessor slash teacher. That's sort of his gift. And he was talking about, you know, in his church a few years ago that there were some people in his church that wanted him to preach and act like a certain evangelist. And he felt this shame coming, he felt shame coming on him because he couldn't be that evangelist. He couldn't be that thing. And because... He wasn't doing it, and they wanted him to do it. They were praying that he would change and praying that he'd become something different. 
And he, and he talked, there, there, there's a shame that comes on a person. See, a lot of times we shame our children because they're not performing the way we want them to perform. So they feel this sense of shame on them. We shame each other lots of times because we, they, you're not doing what you need to be doing. You, you, know, you know, if you could just preach better, you'd be a better pastor. You know? If you had a, a, a gift of miracles, maybe we would you know, be happy in the church. Those are wrong things. Because you're putting something on somebody that's wrong. And it causes a shame. You see, that that's really all comes back to the same thing about believing a lie. So you, you, you know, if what Francis was, was trying to say, really he was trying to tell people, don't do that to your pastor. But I'm saying don't do it to your kids. Don't do it to each other. Don't do it to your employer. You know? But what happens to us many times is, is because we don't feel like we measure up in, each, in other people's eyes, then we, we tend to withdraw ourselves. We be, tend to become offended. Do you hear what I'm saying to you this morning? Because there's these expectations that are false expectations. They're not true. They're not from, you know, from God. So it causes conflict. It causes conflicts in people's hearts. It creates this anxiety in people and causes them to get depressed. Because they feel like a failure. Anybody here relate to that? Some of us have grew up feeling that way. And God, you know, has been merciful to, de- to deliver us. Um, here's a couple more scriptures. Uh, Romans 8:15. This is this is what the Bible said, or says. <laughs> it said and says, and we'll continue to say. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. And, and you see, you see what I'm saying. All that kind of stuff puts bondages on people. It it puts us in bondage. It it, it ties us up spiritually. You know, you know. Man, Murdoch wants me to be a healing evangelist, and you know, and I got to be one to make Ann happy and. Anne's not going to like me if I'm not that. And I'm struggling to be that, but somehow God's just not doing that in my life. What am I going to do? Think of the conflict and anxiety it produces in you. Anne. (laughs) So the Lord doesn't want us to be in any kind of bondage to anything or anybody but to Him. And that's really the truth. And it's not bondage when, when He has us. But you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, that's, that's what the Word of God says. And then the Second Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's really what God... He doesn't want us to operate in this spirit of fear, this we're going to fail, they're not going to be happy, you know, I can't make my parents feel good about me, they don't like what I'm doing with my life. Um, I can't make the church happy. I'm not good enough at what I'm doing. You know, nobody in this place likes me. I'm not spiritual enough. You know, all the things that the enemy is slinging at us constantly. I've had people... I remember when I first walked into a a spirit-filled type church as a new Christian, I felt like a daggone ant. So everybody in here knows the Lord, and I don't, you know. Everybody in here is more spiritual than me. I'm the worst person in here. It made me want to walk, turn around and walk out the door. That's the way it made me want to feel. But that was a lie. Because there were people in there that were having adulterous affairs. You know, and they were, you know, you see, it was a big lie from the devil. You're not the most spiritually insignificant person. Well, you know, this is how they worship. They're real expressive and all that, and they're real spiritual, but nobody knows them. Same people could be in their pastor's office the next day confessing homosexual tendencies. 
You see what I'm saying? We look on the outside and see things and the devil's sitting there telling us all this stuff. And we're believing it and it's causing us to act a certain way. And then it really, we're plagued with it in the church. And the world is overrun by it, overcome by it. Y'all with me? Here's a great prayer that the Lord really will come on. One day I was, I was praying and I felt the Lord give me this prayer. Pray, this, this prayer came out of my mind. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for blaming my mom and daddy for the way I've been. Forgive me for blaming my upcoming from the way I've been. For blaming the people at church or blaming my boss or blaming Becky or blaming my children. I just release them. Lord, they are not responsible that I am the way I've been. I'm responsible. And man, the Holy Spirit came on me at that moment and I felt stuff coming out of me when I was praying that prayer. I felt filth coming out of my spirit. It was just like the Lord just stuck His hand in there and started pulling this stuff out of me. When I quit trying to point at everybody else and say, it's your fault that I messed up. Y'all have wounded me. Y'all have hurt me and I messed up. When, yeah, it really is. When I took responsibility for being messed up, not that they didn't do it, but then, you know what? You know what? The Lord, the Lord gave me the next part. Forgive. Begin to forgive everybody. Anybody that the Lord brought to my mind, begin to forgive. Lord, I forgive this person. I forgive that person. True forgiveness. And it was freedom because it cleansed me on the inside. It was taking the flies out of my spiritual man, the dead flies. They began to get removed from me. And it felt good. I mean, the Lord was letting me physically feel something that was happening spiritually. Lots of times we don't physically feel it. It's by faith. But it's still happening. He just let me do it because he knew that I was messed up and was a messed up, messed up person. So that's sort of the, uh, the thing. Now, one of the things that I, I was reading about biological weapons, okay, and this is what it says. It says, biological weapons are lethal, ideal for surprise attack, and have tremendous psychological impact. In other words, I can promise you, if we believed at this moment that somebody had slipped anthrax in one of those vents in there, we would flip, and we'd be messed up. We'd probably never walk in the door again. That's psychological. And that's the way a lot of these lies are. They affect your mind. They twist you. They turn you. That's why terrorism is so powerful. Who wants to go get on a subway in, you know, London right now? I don't think I. You know, those guys are pretty pretty rough character, tough characters over there. I would be. I'm getting me a car. You know, <laughs> I'm not getting down there here and bombs going off. And that's the way the enemy works. He te- he's terrorizing Christians, terrorizing us all the time, and he's terror- terrorizing us with lies and lies that we're believing. So um, then the last scripture I had this morning was Mark 12:24, and this is sort of the, the answer to this, or one of the answers, is one of the great defenses is when Jesus, they, were, they came to Jesus and said, listen, you know, this guy died, and uh, these are the Sadducees, this guy died, they didn't believe in the resurrection, but well, this guy got married and he died, and, and back then your brother had to marry the girl if he wasn't married, and this guy had seven brothers, and every one of them married this girl, and they all died. It's a rough family, man. She was killing them. You know, I'd be thinking, man, she had seven husbands. She killed every one of those guys. They were saying, well, in the resurrection, whose husband 
is this woman going to be? I mean, they were just so messed up because they were trying to catch Jesus like they thought they could outsmart him. And, he, and it says, Jesus answered him, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the Scriptures nor the power of God? You don't know. And that's really the thing that will keep us is both. We need both. We need the Scriptures. We need the Bible. I think we were preached to that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, whenever that was. Y'all gave that message about the real need. And people tell me stupid stuff like this, and you would like to just haul off and slap them. Well, I grew up in the church. I know the Bible. Well, golly, you know more than everybody else do because the, the Word of God is an expanding thing. It's something... You can't learn something today and expect tomorrow it, it, to have the same meaning. It grows. There's more to John 3.16 than we've understood yet. There's more revelation in it. And that's what Jesus Himself was saying. You don't know the Word. You know what you thought you knew ten years ago. Five years ago, what somebody told you when you were nine in the ninth grade. You know, that's why we always have to have the Word of God as a part of our lives. Because it protects us. It protects us. It grounds us in the truth. And everybody knows that, but, you know, we don't always do it. And then the other thing is the power of God. You know, if you just have one, it doesn't do you much good. I mean, what we really need is to be people who really believe in the power of God and believe in the supernatural and believe that God is doing things that are invisible that we don't see with our natural eyes, but we can tap in and see those things spiritually. And we have to be those kind of people. And those are the things that are going to protect us against Satan's strategies against our life. You know, and um, so the Lord wants to you know, deliver people from your lies. And you need to ask the Lord a question. You know, Lord, what lies am I believing? See, I asked the Lord the question and He told me, you're blaming these people for your condition in life. That's a lie. The blame is not them. It is not your boss. It's not your boss. It's not your mama. You know, you're blaming. That's a big lie. By the truth. That's what? Hey, why did you sin? You know, well, the woman, God, the woman, she gave me. See, it's the oldest trick in the book. The woman, why did you do this? Was the devil? It was true, it was the devil, but she didn't take responsibility for her actions. And there's freedom when God begins to set us free from lies. Well, you know, I don't think Matthew likes me. Why? Well, you know, just the way he acts. Well, I go ask him. You like me, Matthew? That's the truth. But see, if you didn't and you let it go far enough in your mind, you'd have this thing between you and Matthew where y'all were ready to fight it. You were ready to kill Matthew. You know, he's going to like me. I'm going to get him. You know, I'm not going to have anything to do. I'm going to cut myself off from him. Then he sees you acting weird. What does he do? He starts acting weird. Both of you are acting weird. And, and it's all built on some big false thing. You understand what I'm saying to you this morning? God wants to break that stuff over our lives. He wants to set us free. Because there's people believing lies, bigger lies, that are destroying their lives, that are taking them out. And that happens. And that's what, you know, if you believe the little ones, you're making place for a big one. Amen? Amen. So, I was just going to read a few things about um, biological to end, just to sort of penetrate this into your heart. Uh, the, first, the first reported biological missiles 
were deployed in 1346 when the Tartars, they were mouth people. Y'all got that? The Tartars. Okay. Catapulted plague-ridden corpses into the city of Kafka. Plague-ridden corpses. Isn't that awful? That was the first reported. Matthew probably knows more about this than I do. I'm sure he does. But Okay. Uh, they also used uh, arrows coated with snake venom and human blood and human feces. A mixture of that was allowed to putrefy, and they would stick their arrows in it and shoot people with it. Of course, it would cause gangrene and shock, and people would die pretty quick. Listen, this is what the enemy's doing to us spiritually. The, the, uh, that's why I want you to see this. According to popular lore, this is just a thing, Native Americans were deliberately infected with smallpox by the way of blankets by the American cavalry. Isn't that awful? In World War I, a fourth of American troops who died in France were killed by another biohazard, poison gas. A fourth of the American soldiers, biogas. Uh, the Viet Cong used shrapnel bombs infected with human feces against U.S. forces and civilians during the war in Vietnam. That was, that's nasty, isn't it? Imagine getting hit with that. Um, Jap- Japan dropped a bomb on China back in the 30s before World War when they were having a conflict with China that was full of fleas that were infected with the bubonic plague. Yeah, that's where bubonic plague comes from. Now, the reason I was telling you, I just want you to get a picture of our enemy and that's what he's doing to us with lies. It is no different. In fact, it's worse because it's spiritual and it will destroy your life and destroy your ability to function spiritually. And that's why we have really have to be, we have to stand against this stuff and guard against this stuff in our lives. We have to be real decisive about the lies that we believe. Real decisive. And if it, you know, that's why we need to know the Word, so we can, you know, discern the lie. That's why we need the power of God, so we can let the gifts of God flow in us to really make, you know, right discernment and apply the Word of God righteously and right. Amen? So that's the, you know, the message this morning. And, uh, we want to just, you know, pray for people um, so that they could be healed of any kind of sickness in your bodies this morning. We want to pray for you. Also, we wanted to pray for uh, people who are suffering with bitterness and unforgiveness and things that you may be believing that are not true. If God you know, spoke to you and you would like to receive prayer for that, you need to receive prayer for it. You need to get out from under this stuff. Amen? Amen? Come on now. So we would like some music. Can we get some music, Andy?